Hello and welcome to It's Alive. Um, we're back for our third week. Sorry we missed last week. There was a few hectic things going on um, with studio time and also private life. So do apologise that uh, we missed that. Um, but we've got a really special show this week because we're going to be talking uh, about everyone's favourite horror subject, I think, which is zombies. And we've got a special guest, uh, CJ Monk, who uh, is a bit of a bit, a bit of a zombie fan and a bit of a, a sort of an expert on zombies so we're going to be chatting to him um i've got robert here today again robert Shaw. hello who's guest um guest presenter uh obviously i'm Stuart again i'm still here and um we're going to start off as we always do with um with movie news um so obviously i think the big movie news we're going to have to talk about and it's a, a, a it's a life tradition isn't it by by now the sad, sadly, sadly, um, yet another uh, big name death um, with the the death of uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, was it Sunday? Yeah, Sunday, 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 like a bolt out of the blue, and I think it hit it hit so many people really hard, didn't it? It certainly hit me. I um, I heard about an hour after I'd watched Catching Fire, um, which he was fantastic in, and I've been talking with my girlfriend and my um, younger stepson on how brilliant he was, and was telling my youngest Alex about what he'd been in before and how great he is and he's going to be a bigger character as the the stories go on without giving any spoilers away obviously if you've seen Catching Fire you kind of know that already but um and then get a get a message off you yeah while I was sitting at the computer writing for It's Alive on Facebook and there it was um and it just well I heard it come out across the radio so I you know it's not it I think when people heard it first on Twitter and Facebook and stuff, there straight away we had the it's a hoax because there had there had been, been in January, previous, wasn't there a, a previous mm. a previous hoax around around his death? Um, so initially people dismissed it as a hoax, but I heard it first on on BBC Radio, and mm. so less like you know it was like the reports were coming in of it, and um, and I was with uh, with my daughter who again only really knows him through. Catching mm. Fire, uh, which we which we saw at the cinema when it came out a few months ago, um, and we talked about and that's exactly the same. We talked yeah. about how, what a great actor I thought he was, and uh, you know, and she she appreciated his role in that, and and we were looking forward to seeing him in the other in the other two movies, and 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 that was initially our first thought, you know, not oh dear he can't get to finish those films, but but I wonder how far. How far through the making yeah. of that? And now it's it's been discussed it, now. So it, it seems, yeah, that it, apart from one crucial scene, he's. I was reading this afternoon. Uh, they said he got seven days worth of shooting, yeah. but it's one crucial scene, unfortunately. So how are they going to do that? Who knows? But they they they've done it before. They've had to deal with this before. I mean, I can't imagine them recasting for anything. No, uh, they've I, said they won't. And so. it doesn't look like it's going to be a, a kind of um, you know Doctor Parnassus uh, no. kind of situation when they have to rethink. You know, have several people no. in the in the role. Um, so you know, I think it's it's just one of those sad things that that movies have to plan for. Unfortunately, it's, it's dreadfully sad. I, I I went straight onto his IMDb page and I was looking at the films that he'd made and realised I've seen so few. Really? Um, yeah, so few of his movies. Um, I first saw him in Twister, uh, <laughs> and then Boogie Nights, uh, Boogie Nights uh, which was yeah, absolutely amazing. Um, and then I, I know him really as uh, the villain in the Mission Impossible film, uh, Mission Impossible Three. Um, where I think he played one of the best sort of action movie villains for a long, long time. 
and certainly the best American action movie villain, because usually they are a bit British these days, aren't they? And have been for the last 20 odd years. Um, but I've never seen Happiness. Um, yeah, it's, yeah there's, there's quite a few of his films that I've not seen. I've not seen Charlie Wilson's War, I've not seen uh, Capote, um, which he got the Oscar for a few years ago. Well, I think the first. The first Thing, I'm just trying to see, get the sequence right. I, I guess the first thing I saw him in what would have been Boogie Nights, mm. um, but I guess you know in, in fairly short order, I'd I'd seen. I've seen words? Magnolia. I'd, I'd, seen which... Mag, I'd seen Magnolia, Talented Mr. Ripley, uh, Punch Drunk Love, which mm. is fantastic, um, and uh, what's the one I. I'd even forgotten that he was in, and I'm trying to find it. <laughs> Almost now. Famous. Almost was, Famous. We played was Lester Vangs. Absolutely as, fantastic. Yeah, that's that's a, the, probably a big one that sticks yeah. for me, That because um, I adored that film for the subject matter and uh, the way it was handled, and he was just this great presence, as the, the real Lester Vangs was as well. So he did seem to have an affinity of playing real-life characters, sort of, as Capote as well. Yes, I, and I think this has been this is one of the things that's been said about him. You know, his his ability to to draw upon. You know, it's it's kind of silly now to talk in hindsight. Is it about his own weaknesses, his own things as a human being, and to bring that that through in a very compassionate way. He, he often played losers, mm-hmm. um, but yep. but you never, you know, even if you think back to Boogie Nights, um, you know, a very a very weak uh, character yeah. in terms of you know if it, weak, personality. Way, yeah, weak personality, weak yeah. personality. Um, but but you never hated him. You saw his flaws mm. and you were kind of sympathetic. I think he brought he brought sympathy to those to those roles and real depth to them, you know, that in someone else's hands could have just been you know, just an annoying, annoying little character. Yeah, I think the same is true in Magnolia as well. You know, there's a. There's well, a you you know my feelings of Magnolia. I'm not a fan at all. Never have been. You need um, to watch it again. I probably do. I I remember really adoring Tom Cruise in that film. Um, I think so shocked because he was playing so against type. But um, <laughs> uh, now I know I never never did like Magnolia. Um, sort of with the Kevin the Kevin Smith uh, sort of point of view on uh, on Magnolia, I'm afraid. Um, but no, I mean, without going into um, the sort of reasons behind his death and uh, and the circumstances, um, I, I, it is I think it's incredibly tragic um, that we have lost him and uh, we've lost the opportunity to see him in some fantastic roles in the future. Uh, we obviously as well lost um, Maximilian Schell this weekend, which was uh, also sad. Obviously, he sort of, you know, he was in his 80s when he, he passed. Yeah, um, very different. Very different to being, yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I, obviously, I mean, Maximilian Schell goes back many, many years, uh, but I, and I think most people of, uh, Your age. of my age know him uh, from The Black Hole, Disney's <laughs> fantastic dark sci-fi movie, which I think was incredibly underrated at the time and still underrated to this day. Uh, very bleak, strange <laughs> bird of a film. With very silly robots. With very silly robots, but yeah. they were great. I don't care. No, I, I, I loved him in that film. He was he played a terrific role, as, as did um, Anthony Perkins as well, which was, you know, he, he was great in that film. I think it was really cast well. Yeah, they are weighty actors, aren't they? They, yeah. could, they, they brought some dignity and gravitas to yeah, uh, to what might have been a silly film. Yeah, but obviously, he, <laughs> uh, you know, he was in a lot of other movies, and he was a very fine actor. And um, uh, yeah, once again, he'll be sadly missed. But it's yeah, similar, isn't it? You think think that how for many for an entire generation, Philip Seymour Hoffman has been remembered for for a role in essentially essentially a children's film, mm. young, young persons 
fil- mm. film. Obviously, but one more ser- with a more serious topic behind it than the black hole. I'm, I don't. Th- <laughs> I don't think we were really at ever threat from getting sucked into black holes and across the event horizon. <laughs> but but, but non- nonetheless, a whole generation introduced to him in a in a, mm. a children's yeah. film. But bringing some gravitas and kind of weight to that, as to that people role. were with, um, uh, with, uh, with Alec Guinness, Guinness in yeah. Star Wars, of yes. course, yeah. And obviously, it's when I was and I was that that age and watched Star Wars, I then went back and looked at the, yeah. you know, the the, the man, uh, the man in the white suit, white suit, and um, other films like that, Lady and Kind Hearts and Coronet's Lady Killers, yeah. Mm. So yeah, absolutely, you know. I hope and I hope people did do that, and uh, I hope people seeing his name this weekend and maybe you know younger film fans will go back and look at those things and, yeah. and look at the other films you've seen. I think I'll certainly try to find more. And I'll, I will with Philip Seymour Hoffman as well. Yes. I'm going to be, you know, sort of looking looking for things like happiness and I will rewatch Hard Magnolia, honestly. <laughs> I, 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 I'm a big fan, but I'm a big fan of, of Paul Anderson's films. Yes, I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to agree to disagree. Yeah, OK. Um, right, um... Moving on from the sad news, then um, popped up this morning. Um, uh, was uh, we've got to talk about Star Wars? <laughs> of <laughs> course, we've got to find some Star Wars news. So I was looking around. Unfortunately, there's still no casting news or any firm news about the Episode Seven. But there has been news come out uh, from Disney that not only is the Rebels TV series, which is due out later this year, September October, I believe, uh, is due on Disney XD. Mm. Um, that they're going to be starting off this summer with an actual film. So they've kept that pretty quiet, uh, putting the movie out straight to TV, but you never know in this country. We've got Clone Wars theatrical release, but I don't I doubt if they'll go down that because that pretty much bombed. Well, let's hope it's better than that. <clears throat> well, yes, yeah, so do I, yeah, absolutely. Um, they are saying this is the, the time we're going to get the sort of litmus test, really, for how Disney are dealing with Star Wars, and it will give us the first idea... Um, I did see a Boba Fett Rebels figure this week yeah. that was leaked onto the uh, internet. So that looks good. That <laughs> you're, um, hope, you're hopeful, aren't you? Yeah, you're I'm very hopeful. I think I think, uh, I think I, we'll have Boba Fett. But I think when there. when if if Rebels turns out to be disappointing to a whole yeah. bunch of fans, I, I don't think it's I don't think it is the moment to dismiss you know, to despair over what Disney are going to do with it. I think Disney's approaches are are going to be many. Mm. Do you think Disney will use it as, as I said, as a litmus test to find out whether things worked, whether they may change things over the course of the next eighteen months? I don't. I don't know. I think. I think Rebel. I. I from what I know about it, mm. Rebels appears to be like a self a self contained thing that's been in development and has got its own kind of own kind of audience. And I don't think it'll. I don't think it'll be influencing. Um, what happens with with the live action movies? Well, there is talk that they're going to be using some of the like Mara Jade character, which will be introduced in Rebels, and we'll use that as the character ongoing in Star in Episode Seven. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised to see the the movies completely take their own take their own track and okay. you know, and say that. Well, we'll find out in. Two years' time, we'll know. <laughs> Hopefully, its live will still be going, and we can uh, have that big discussion there. Yes, um, fight. Other oh, last little bit of uh, movie news that stood out to me because it's been a bit of a slow week because I think Philip Seymour Hoffman's sort of death has overshadowed everything. But um, Tom Hiddleston, who plays Loki, 
fabulously in the Thor movies and Avengers. Best thing about Avengers. I'm, I, as much as I love Avengers, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with you. I think he's fantastic um, in all three films. He's been cast in the new Ben Wheatley film, which is based on um, the J.G. Ballard book High Rise. Yeah, big fan. Yeah, I mean Ben Wheatley. <laughs> it's it's three things for me because Tom Hiddleston I love. Ben Wheatley, although I've only ever seen a couple of his films, is now directing the first couple of episodes of Doctor Who, yep. which is exciting. And also, I wouldn't say I'm a big J.G. Ballard fan, but I, I love J.G. Ballard's books. Mm. Um, so I'm quite excited by that. I don't know the book. never read it. So It's an interesting book, and it's been, but it's been tipped for a... It's been kind of in development for as a film for decades. I mean, just looking up now who, who was originally linked to it, and it was the, the producer... Um, uh, Paul Thomas um, and uh, Nicholas Rogue was, mm. was tipped as, as director and that's going back to the to the 70s to the late 70s and it's been through various other hands until last August Wheatley's name was attached to the project I think it's fantastic news I think I think Wheatley is one of the best best uh, new directors of his generation um, certainly I, very interesting mm. um, I found the films that I have seen of his very very interesting I wouldn't say I loved them. I didn't particularly love Kill List. As you, uh, the end for me took a bit of a, 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 a strange turn, which obviously was supposed to. Um, I found it's um, it followed a sort of uh, very much some some of the uh, European sort of horror movies and you know sort of shock movies that have come out over the last couple of years, like a Serbian movie and films like that. I found that it sort of took a lot from those. Um, without going the whole I nasty think, route, yeah. but I, I don't know. I, I, I did like it. I thought some of the performances in it were fantastic. Um, I think he's very much an actor's director, and I think he brings incre- he gets incredible performances out out of people. And I think it, um, it's which is why it works so well in those kind of small budget films where he allows people to improvise and, and brings brings that out of it. It worked very well in um, in Down Terrace, mm. which is definitely you know worth um, digging out if you if you haven't seen it. Uh, po- possibly better than Kill This, although some of those scenes in Kill This, the improvised, the dialogue in in, in the car and so on between mm. the, between the two main characters, is is just superb. Uh, and I I think. Um, and it, and what he did with sightseers as well. Yeah, it's not his, not his script, but but again, Amy Jump is writing, is mm. doing the adaptation for uh, for High Rise. Yeah. and uh, I, I think if you did know the story, you, you I think you'd see the fit. Um, Great, and I think it's I'm looking forward to that. Might not read it before the film comes out. I don't know. I'll have to decide. I might watch the film first. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. But so that's uh, that's the wrap up of the movie news. Thank you. Right, so on to this week's uh, topic. As we said at the top of the show, uh, we're going to be talking all things zombie. Uh, I'm here with uh, Chris Monk, who is, I've known for a few years now, probably getting on for about seven or eight years, and a um, bit of a zombie expert, aren't you, Chris? Just to touch, too. Just to touch, mate. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, we, we're going to go back. I, I, as uh, we've said off air, I think um, the main zombie sort of. Um, you know the sort of things that we're going to be talking about is from the sort of Romero era, Night of the Living Dead onwards. I think anything before it was a very different beast, and I think you'd agree that Romero invented that modern zombie. Well, he he kind of appropriated. I mean, Romero's gone on record that he stole the idea from Richard Matheson from his book *I Am Legend*, but it mm. wasn't zombies. 
uh, in the original book it was vampires. That's right. But yeah. he kind of turned it around. And he thought, well, uh, Vincent Price did it as uh, Last Man on Earth, I think. Yeah. So he Romero kind of did his spin. Did a script called Night of the Anubis, which later became Night of the Living Dead. He shot it on a shoestring yeah. with a pe bunch of people who he knew through university in Carnegie Hall. Um, and basically just went ahead and did it, hit the drive-ins, but unfortunately Romero never made any money no. because he forgot to put his name on the copyright. So it, it kind of spawned a whole new genre, which, I mean, uh, European horror went in a different direction, but Romero kind of held off making the sequel, I think it was for about 10 years, yeah. from 68 till 78, because he did the crazes in between. But it wasn't a full-blown zombie movie, it was an infected movie, as we were saying. So it was very, I think, 28 Days Later, which we'll talk about a bit later, it's sort yeah. of more of a akin to crazes, isn't it, than to Night of the Living Dead or Dawn. Now, we, we spoke off-air about this, when did you first sort of become... Uh, aware of zombie movies and what sort of uh, got you into infected? Into... I think it's the word. <laughs> <laughs> so Getting infected. Nice when you first infected? <laughs> um, I think. Well, as we were saying to Robert, mainly and and Stu as well. It's mainly um, VHS. I think that spawned this whole generation of horror junkies. And <laughs> I was twelve. Um, I think parents said you can go and hire a film from Radio Rentals. Here's a tenner. Go choose one. I'm spending months beforehand looking through these catalogues that they used to send oh, out. Oh yes, I remember them well. And you look at the ones that go X, and then <laughs> Radio Rentals had their own rating system. You're like X, X, and triple X. Triple X. I thought, oh my God, I've got to go for a triple X one. <laughs> I think it was down to the Exterminator and Dawn of the Dead. Um, Exterminator, the old Robert Ginty. Yeah, fantastic New York exploitation film. L big fan, big fan. Finally got it on copy a couple of years ago. Um, that that's a, that's another show, but yeah, love love love, uh, love the exterminator. So yeah, um, basically the exterminator was on high, so it was had to be dawn. Well, it was called Zombies Dawn of the Dead on the old Alpha Alpha Intervision cover. Um, hired it, got it home. I think my parents were out for the evening, or they weren't around in the living living room. So essentially, my first viewing of Dawn was on my own at the age <laughs> of twelve, of a dark October evening, which was absolutely perfect with the curtains closed. Volume turned up higher. I think it, it kind of switched something on or blew a few brain cells. I thought, my God, if every other horror movie at Radio <laughs> Rentals is like this, I'm in for a treat. And subsequently, I hired out things like um, later on, it'd be Zombie Flesh Eaters. Yeah. Um, subsequently, Beyond City of Living Dead. But for me, it was Romero that was my pathway into yeah. zombie movies. So I, 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 uh, very, very similar with Dawn of the Dead. I remember seeing the television adverts, um, late 70s, when it was, it, it, I think they did a re-release as well. Um, it was like a five, ten second sort of burst through the doors uh, of, of the, the elevator, um, and just thinking, oh, I want to see that film. And then VHS came about after we'd had Super 8 for so long and watching very sort of cut down versions of films. Um, and and uh, Dawn was one of the, the, the earliest for me, although my first VHS experience was uh, watching Alien in full length. Uh, the first thing we ever, ever, ever hired was the original Alien, which uh, still to this day is possibly one of the greatest horror movies ever made. Not a zombie movie, so we'll carry on. Um, but yeah, Dawn, and then then I went sort of more the American um, and the exploitation movies, as you mentioned, The Exterminator, uh, Evil Dead came out. Um, I didn't go so much the um, the Italian. So so the Fulci films, I didn't see um, Zombie Flesh Eaters until 
probably late 80s. It's probably a good sort of sort of 10 years maybe after um, the explosion, maybe not quite that long, maybe eight years, um, that I first saw um, Flesh Eaters. And that, I, I always remember Dawn of the Dead was kind of acceptable and was known, I think, because it had been shown at cinemas and things like that. But the, I think the Fulci films were always that... Well, they were on the video nasty list for a start. Three of his films out of, I think, it was 75 films that were on the nasty list were Fulci movies. So, you know, um, with Zombie Flesh Eaters being one of them. And the, the, there, was, there was the notorious eye-gouging scene, which if you go on our Facebook site, is our banner this week, for, especially for the show. Um, I found it out. So if you're looking for our Facebook site, by the way, the one with the woman with the eye-gouged out is, is ours. Um, so so you, you saw that quite early on then? Yeah, I saw Zombie Flesh Eaters, I think, about a year after. Right. Um, but the whole controversy back in the day um, was Vipco released two versions of Zombie Flesh Eaters. One was the cinema version, but also to make some money, they released a, something called a strong uncut version. So these two versions were, were circulating around at the time, and I only saw the um, the cut version mm. because basically all the strong and cut ones had been seized yes. by the police. Um, <laughs> so, but I mean, even then, it was just um, watching zombie flesh eaters for the first time. It was a completely different animal to Dawn of the Dead. Two really, two, it is, yeah. Two completely different styles. I mean, um, if you think about Romero's more um, kind of like science fiction, whereas. Uh, Fulci's more on the um, the mythical religious side. Yeah, it's kind of voodoo. It brings yeah. a lot of the voodoo from the the very early incarnations, really, of um, zombies in uh, white zombie, white zombie, and things like that. Yes, yeah, some of the really older 1930s films, thirties and forties. I think he did use some of that and some of the, the the Haitian sort of voodoo rituals and things like that, didn't it? So, but uh, I, the one thing that apart from the eye gouging sequence uh, of flesh eaters. That I think we should mention is the uh, zombie fighting a shark scene. Now, I, I don't know if you know any more about that than I do. Or Controversial. <laughs> I mean, um, Animal Right, this film would not be made today. No. Um, they drugged the shark and they, the zombie was actually a shark trainer. If you can train a shark, it's like herding cats. Um, it, it, they drugged the shark and basically did a false harm. Shark rips off the false arm, but I mean, you imagine today how they will get insurance to do oh, such a thing. Could you, you know, the possibilities of things that could go what wrong. What sort of shark was it? Do we know? Um, was it a tiger? Because they're pretty nasty, aren't they? Yeah, been yeah. a bit of a shark fan since Jaws. Um, another thing of people of our generation <laughs> became a little bit shark obsessed. I think I'm pretty sure I read that it was a tiger shark, which are, they, they attack more men than. Than great whites ever do. I know that. Absolutely. I think there's so. a couple of different sharks. How many zombies do they attack? The <laughs> Just question. the one that we know <laughs> to at the moment. Yeah. Certainly ever filmed. <clears throat> no, I always thought that was an amazingly hilarious scene, which, as you say, would never ever be allowed today and we'll ne probably we'll never see again. But if we do, it'll be some kind of CGI'd. Heroic shark. Uh, yes, oh, yeah. But so, so obviously, the, 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 there was the big explosion with VHS um, in the early 80s and there was the video nasties um, in the UK that, you know, we've spoken about, which, in my eyes, made these films more... Oh, absolutely. You know, we wanted them, didn't we? we yeah. We'd find any way. There was always the guy that scored. There was always the video <laughs> shop that ran the corner that the guy went, you know, oh, I've got these under the counter, but, you know, they pay an extra, extra couple of quid. Um, and then there was the guy whose big brother would do a copy for you and stuff like that. Um, so so th these films carried on, but they, I think they quickly started to satirise themselves. And you, you were saying earlier about 
Night of the Living Dead and George Romero didn't make any money and he, he wrote that, I believe, with John Russo. Yes, he did. Uh, yeah, Russo was... Um, they kind of There was a bit of a schism or a split mm. between the two and Russo went off and did books and comic books. But he owned the Night of the Living Dead title, so Romero couldn't do Night of the Living Dead yeah. too. So he had to progress his trilogy, so it was logical that it would be night, dawn, day. Twilight, unfortunately, was never maybe got Lander dead instead. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, Russo was an interesting chap because he was more, he, he was more of a showman to a certain degree. Romero, I think, was the talent, whereas Russo was the the gore aspect. Mm. I mean, um, Romero probably looked to his piece like Hitchcock for his filmmaking skills, and it's well documented that Romero has his whole film in his head and he can visualise it. And when he puts it to film, he's very very talented. But as to whether Romero had an interest in that. I think it's a bit debatable. I think mm. Romero's been sucked into making these films over the years because they make money. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's certainly the latter part of his career over the last sort of 10, 15 years has definitely been that. But with, with Russo, he actually wrote the novel of Return of the Living Dead, which then got picked up by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald... Shusit. Shusit, thank you. Um, <laughs> just trying to remember how to pronounce it. Um, and then they turned it into this... Because the book certainly wasn't a comedy. Um, I remember reading that years and years ago. I think I've still got the book with the original, the original seventies cover somewhere. Is that the one with the plastic zombies? That's the one. Yes. It's the story yeah. where they're sticking the spikes in the fire. It's sat on a farm or something. The original version of Return. Yes, I think it is. I think yeah. it is. But it's pretty great. Thirty years probably getting on for since I've read it, Chris. Um, but no, then obviously they turned it into the Return of the Living Dead film, which was essentially a. a one of the first real horror comedies around the same time as Creepshow and things like that. Um, we were saying about this earlier, one of the first that introduced running zombies, um, talking zombies. Apart from Nightmare City, which came about four years before, Stu. Okay. <laughs> and I've never seen, Chris. So. Oh, oh, you've got to do, mate. Well, before, before we leave tonight, we'll make a list of films that uh, you, you, you insist on watching. I'm sure I'll do that. But, uh, but yeah, so, so Running Zombies, Talking Zombies, which was very weird. I know, Rob, that you... I remember you seeing it and, at the <laughs> time and, and just... Yeah, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't to my taste, should we say. <laughs> and, I, and I think, you know, it was that point at which it, it stopped being, for me, it stopped being serious. It's, well, it was intentionally not serious. But I think, I don't know, I think the zombie movies, the whole, the whole genre, all the way through, from the Night of the Living Dead onwards, for me, was, was such an intelligent genre mm. it's it, it's and it's something you know maybe maybe we could talk about but it, it has an ability like good science fiction to to pretend to be one thing whilst actually being another it's a, it's, a, it's a real a really potent way of commenting on on modern culture whenever it, depending on when it's made Romero uh, obviously yeah. famously used that with uh, consumerism with, and, uh, and with and with the civil rights Dawn, and sorry, with civil, the civil rights movement you know in Night of the yeah. Living Dead and, and I think it's one of those movies so, so for me I probably you know reacted too strongly for the, against the, the the kind of over the top jokiness of it and and, and as I said as I said to you before for, for me it, it kind of goes hand in hand with kind of John Landis's treatment of, of zombies in Michael Jackson's thriller video you know and and and, and it kind it just didn't work for me it kind of going against what I felt what I felt the genre was you know in hindsight uh, to I'm taking it far too serious as a young as a young film student and <laughs> fan um, but you know I think the point the point's still there I remember sneaking into the cinema at about the age of 14 to watch Return of the Living Dead. 
I think I was about 14 or 15. What a and, and And <laughs> I, I think I just went because of the linear Quigley yeah, topless, uh, topless dancing, dancing well, yeah. completely naked yeah, yeah. dancing on the tombstone scene. I think that was the highlight, really. And the, and the um, Send More Paramedics line, which... To this day, I think is is fantastic in in you know one of the fan- best lines in the horror it's movies. Sorry, Sorry horror comedy. I'm going with uh, Robert here on this one. <laughs> Day of the Dead was released the same summer as Return yeah. of the Dead in the States. I stuck I snuck um, into the cinema to watch that as well. <laughs> and I still think um, I think Return of the Living Dead sent the genre down a, a wrong path in a certain way. I, I agree, um, and this is a question I put to you because it, it it started to become self parody quite quickly. I mean, what year was Return of the Living Dead? About 85? 80, yeah, 1985. 85. So, yeah. the, the, obviously, we had the start with Night of the Living Dead, but then there'd been a big gap. So, you're 78, if we, if we like, with the sort of modern zombie film. Um, so, within, you know, seven years, parody had come in to play. Mm. I mean, we'd had Creepshow with uh, the Father's Day segment, which, to, you know, is, is a zombie. Um, I want my cake. <laughs> um, and then um, we, we've got we, we've got Return of the Living Dead. How do you think it sort of came back? And how long do you think it took to come back to, to making serious zombie movies? Because we've had comedy zombie movies in the last sort of 10 to 15 years, like Shaun of the Dead and quite a few other parodies that have been made. But, but it's still managed to... The serious zombie movies has been made. How do you think it did that, and how quick do you think it did that? I think it took about eleven years for the Resident Evil game to come out, because that's when people started ah. to look at zombies as um, something serious again, and yes. there were shambling zombies. They weren't these ringing things that you see today. Sorry, <laughs> Zack Snyder. Um, <laughs> Never apologised to Zack Snyder after Superman, Man of Steel. So <laughs> it's okay. It had its moments. It it's okay. Yeah, the, but, the end. Interestingly. Um, <laughs> Again, console was launched off the back of yeah. Resident Evil, and this is—it was the game that really drew people in. But the, the the essence of Resident Evil was zombies. I mean, it had giant spiders in it as well. But for for the player, you were transported into this mansion with a bunch of living dead, and you've got to get out of there. Mm. You've got to keep your ammunition to hand. But interestingly, as well, it, it ties back into Romero because for Resident Evil Two, uh, Romero had to make. Um, the game that is mm. um, a advert for the Japanese market that was never shown in um, remember, yeah, America or yeah. Europe. So there's a nice little symmetry there. So I think Capcom were name checking Romero in that instance in a, in a very nice referential way. I remember playing Resident Evil actually. I, I'm, I'm quite surprised you brought that up because we hadn't spoken about that before. So I'm really pleased you did. Um, I remember playing it for the first time, um, and as you say, it went on to be sort of giant spiders and plants, if I remember rightly, and things like that. And when it got to that point in the game, I lost interest, as I did in the films. When it was the zombies at the start of the game, I thought, this is fantastic. Haunted house type Agatha Christie place with zombies in it as well. So this it really it was, it was just the perfect game for me. As I progressed through the game, I got less and less interested, I'll be honest with you. And it turned out all the bio and the... the Trying to remember the name of the the, the, the umbrella, the umbrella corporation yeah. and things like that. That just it, it, it kind of bored me as, as the films progressively have um but no i think that's very interesting i think you know i think you absolutely got that right and i think romero if i remember reading correctly when he made the 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 advert for the japanese market didn't that revive his interest in maybe making a fourth zombie movie yeah i think it did i mean it's been on the cards because essentially after the um the experience he had making day of the dead 
his original script was completely pared back mm. from the epic scale that it was. He kind of turned his back on the zombie movies, but Resident Evil, um, because it was such a success, the game, uh, all across the world, it kind of reignited people's taste for zombies, and who better than Romero to actually pick up the baton again? So at the back of his head, he always had the idea for um, a fourth chapter, which would be a lot more epic, and that turned out to be uh, Dead Reckoning, the right. first draft, which became, later became Land of the Dead. I was mm. lucky enough that one of Romero's um, assistants leaked me a copy oh. um, before it got um, second and third drafted. So mm. I read the first draft of Dead Reckoning. I thought, gosh, this is amazing. Um, it, originally, I think the um, Asia Argento's character was a bit more like Pam Greer, mm. and uh, Charlie would, would have been definitely played by uh, Tom Sizemore. Okay. Would have been perfect casting. And it was, but it, the original script of Dead Reckoning was a lot darker. Fiddler's Green, it was more, um, it was more like a shanty town with the towers, but it also had its own TV station. So there'd be people uh, sending out propaganda against uh, the Dennis Hopper character. Who I can't mm. recall no, that. But it was absolutely brilliant. I think, um, yes, you're right. Resident Evil really spurred Romero into getting back in the game and showed that zombies were once again financially viable, so it's a 10-year cycle. I, I'm quite surprised, really, because I think Land of the <clears> Dead, <throat> which eventually, Dead Reckoning eventually became, as you say, um, that kind of restarted, didn't it, and reignited the, the zombie um, sort of, rev well, the revival in the, uh, the, the when, when was, when was Land? It was a very early 2000s, wasn't it? Oh, Land of the Dead was after Sean and... Was it after Sean? And the remake of Dawn of the Dead and 28 Days Later were the... The, the two precursors and Romero take it back I thought it was a lot longer ago than that um, I, I'll be honest with you I, I really don't like Land of the Dead it has its it grows on you after all it's I've, I've, I've only ever managed to watch it twice I think maybe three times I, I've not been a fan in fact I've preferred I preferred Diary of the Dead which people hate <laughs> but I kind of don't mind found footage movies but you know um, what was it about Land that you didn't like um the main character, I, I think the, the the main protagonist, I don't like. I've never seen a film with Asia Argento in that I've I, I've liked. <laughs> um, I'll be perfectly honest. Um, every time I look at her, I see her dad, and I I, I don't don't like her. Um, I thought the um, the way they jumped from the intelligent zombie idea in Day to the intelligent zombie idea. Well, I mean, the guy who played Howard Sherman, wasn't he? he played Bob yes, in, he did, the, yeah. in the in the Day of the Dead to uh, the, the mechanic, I don't know the Big name Daddy. of the coach. Big Daddy, thank yeah. you. Uh, I, I thought he was dreadful. I mean, absolutely to the point that I'm sitting cringing, looking at the screen through my fingers because I can't watch that guy's performance in the film. No, I think you've summed it up perfectly. I like the premise of Land of the Dead, but I wasn't happy with the way it was executed. Mm. It's For me, the issues I have with Land of the Dead with a lot of modern zombie movies is that zombies don't look like zombies. Mm. They look a little bit too human with too much subtleties. Give me the blue face zombies out of Dawn of the yes. Dead any day because you can see, you know, they genuinely look creepy yeah, and glazed. But the, they do too much with modern zombies, The the um, too much with the eye work, I think, mm. and the skin looks too natural. No, I see my zombies grey or pallid or Lucio Fulci-esque with plasticine hanging off. <laughs> yeah, you see, I want to see them in black and white, which, is, which, which I think was me when, when I... 
the, the, the moment when I realised that zombies were better in black and white is when I saw the colourised version of Night of the Living Dead. Oh, dear. The first the, version the, I the owned, actually. The opening yeah. scene, when, when that wonderful, wonderful scene when, when the, the, a person is wandering towards them and it's the little joke about, oh, he's coming to get you, Barbara. <laughs> and, and, and we don't know that actually that person is a zombie because it's not being introduced we don't know that there are zombies or anything like that and then turns out to try and take a bite out of her mm. and in the colorized version the person has a green face so, <laughs> so, so, a you know, bright you, green face so walking completely, towards it yeah. completely telegraphs that threat <laughs> and i think that 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 idea i know it, it's particular of the time of its time yeah. but that that idea that there's the dead walk among us and that they aren't easily just tagged and point, uh, pointed at and kind of go, well, you keep them over there, I think is a, is a really powerful one. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's um, well, something, it's not a film, but it's something I, I, I re-watched recently with my daughter because she hadn't seen it before. And, uh, and I think has a nice take on, on all of this, much more recent, uh, Torchwood's Children of Earth. No, sorry, oh, the, no, sorry no. Miracle Day. The Miracle, Miracle Day, yeah. Day um, the American series, um, mm. where because people are are unable to die, people people who have who would have otherwise died from their injuries or illnesses start to be categorised mm. as dead, as essentially the walking, the you know the the living dead, and treated very differently. And I think it's this whole idea of 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 what what it means to be dead, what it means to be alive, and and how we kind of define ourselves by not being the the other is is part for me of what the, what is so powerful about the zombie thing, why it, why it works as a metaphor for so many other things. I think that's absolutely spot on because that's what shocked me when I first watched Dawn of the Dead um, in. 1982 when I was a kid it's the opening sequence in TV station where you've got government officials and they're talking very matter of fact that the bodies will be delivered over to yeah. members of the National Guard if you see you know take the head off or don't trust them even if they're your friends and family you've got essentially I love all that about, about mm. uh, Dawn I think that's one of the best things about the movie the, the as you said matter of fact the mm. national emergency very much like the start of um, Crazies uh, with the scene in the house where it just sort of naturally happens. Mm -hmm. It's not a big shock sequence. It's, you know, and, and, and the scenes with the, when we were introduced to the main characters, uh, Ken Furry's character uh, in Dawn of the Dead, where they're, so they're just doing a job mm -hmm. and things start to get out of hand very, very quickly. And I think it, some of the modern, more modern zombie movies, um, even, even things like, which we'll talk about in a moment, The Walking Dead, um, it's been happening. I think we've seen it so many times that I don't know whether they've they, either, either the, the, the filmmakers haven't done it as well as Romero did it in that film, or are we have we just seen it so many times? You know, everything's fine, and then all of a sudden people start biting each other. I don't I don't know, mm. but I love the way it's handled in the original Dawn. Mm. I think the original Dawn was lightning in a bottle. It was yeah. the music, it was the setting, the fact that you know you've got these people running around in a shopping mall. But three quarters of the way through the film, it turns into like this kitchen sink drama, mm. with uh, because you've lost um, the main SWAT guy uh, Roger. Yeah. So you've got the the couple and you've got Peter, and they're kind of living this insulated world away from all the zombies out there. I think the other scene that really shot me as well is where you've got the one character playing squash on the roof, 
and the ball falls off the roof and it falls into this completely different land, which is hellish. It's zombies mm. just walking around, corpses on the floor, and you think, oh my God, you know, how do they switch off to that? As a, a child of 12, when I first saw this film, it really just made me think, Gosh, it's so matter of fact. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's so casual, and the violence as well. It, it's very, very casual, but it's very, um, it's very, very comic booking away. I mean, the way that Romero frames all the shots, it's very, uh, it, it, it looks like a comic book. I think that was quite appealing as well. It's very fast moving, very kinetic film, and I don't think people have tried to remake it and failed. I don't think. No, I, I, I mentioned, I think I mentioned the remake in our remake show a few weeks ago, and if I didn't, yeah, did. I should have done. Yeah, um, I don't think um, it was a wholly unsuccessful remake. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it. I did like the start, and I really liked um, uh, the main actress, Sarah... Polly. Polly, so thank probably, you. Yeah. yeah, I was trying to remember. <laughs> so, so often do. Um, no, so I, I thought she was fantastic. Um, I found that some of the scenes just um, didn't gel. The way the way it worked, the the group the, the, the didn't work the same. There were too many by the end, and I think the end was really a, a massive cop out. Uh, you know, showing the final scenes over the end titles in a found footage style way. I just thought just just the helicopter taking off at the end of the original Dawn of the Dead is perfect. Yeah. You don't know what's happened to them. You're pretty sure they're not going to last very much longer. You don't need to be shown. And that's exactly what Zack Snyder did. And I think that's why Zack Snyder, Zack Snyder doesn't get it sometimes. The same as Man of Steel. He just doesn't get it. He can't help himself. No, he can't help himself. No, he has to show this mm. destruction, death. Everything happening yeah. instead of just leaving it. That's the end. Bump. Mm. But anyway, we'll move on from dogs. We talked a lot about. It. We, we're moving up to the more modern now. I'd like to talk. You know, we, we said about Dawn of the Dead remake, mm. obviously, and we, you, you also mentioned Shaun of the Dead, which was I, th you know, I think a massive part. And I've got a, a sixteen-year-old and eleven-year-old stepson. My eleven-year-old stepson did see Shaun of the Dead. I didn't show it him. Uh, sorry, Shaun of the Dead. I didn't show it him. He absolutely loves zombies. He wants to see every zombie movie going. Now, he's only a year younger than I was when I saw Evil Dead, the original. And I said, his mum won't let him. I'd let him, probably, but <laughs> his mum certainly won't. She'd kill me. Um, but no, so, you know, I mean, he's got this fascination with zombies because he did see whether he saw the whole of it or some of it at a friend's house. I'm not sure. Um, and I think Shaun of the Dead was very much instrumental in uh, bringing it to a mainstream audience. The idea of zombies and people sort of like that. Um, what you, you aware of that film when it when it came out? How you know was it a big thing for you? Is it absolutely, um, absolutely? I mean, it was unfortunate. I'd lost um, a, a close friend who um, I grew up with. He died that year, um, actually a few weeks before it um, opened. And we both we both planned to actually go see it at the cinema, but um, we both grew up watching zombie movies, and we were like really excited about this film. I mean, we were really hyped up. I think Shaun of the Dead essentially it's a love letter to George Romero, yeah, and that's why it's so accepted. But it's accepted not only by zombie fans, but by comedy fans as well. I think mm. it's it's crossed the genres like Evil Dead did back in the day. Evil Dead appealed to so many different audiences. Mm. Um, say. Young couples going on a date, or serial motive people who uh, just like horror movies anyway, or people just going in for something and they weren't expected. So Evil Dead really broke all those molds. But Sean, I mean, again, it was uh, a unique film and perfect mm. of its time. 
you, you had 28 days later a few years yep. before Resident Evil movies as well so it's building up to this slow crescendo the rebirth of zombie movie yeah I mean so we, we, we could say 28 days later is it a zombie movie uh, I don't think so no. I, I think it is I think it. I think it absolutely. Is. And I know it's that's, yeah. that's debatable. And yeah. I know that the filmmakers might say they're not zombies; they're yeah. infected. And absolutely, of course, they are infected. But it uses the tropes and conventions and, yeah. of, the, yeah. of the zombie genre. It wouldn't exist without the zombie genre. Uh, I don't think. I don't think there was any kind of paradigm for it to fit into any other kind of film, really. Mm. Um, and, and I think it's, uh, and I think it does a superb job. So I think it's shy. It doesn't want to be called a zombie film. Fair enough. It, you know, Boyle can call, it's a, call it what it's he likes. It's a great movie. It's a great I, film. I, I, absolutely fantastic. And I like the sequel as well. But I think it's important in the in if you were if you were to say let's put a, let's write a book on zombie films, you, you couldn't not mention it. And if you were to put a course together on zombie on the progression, the history of the zombie trope or genre mm. you'd have to talk about it similarly there's another film that that um that i would say fits into it but again i suppose strictly speaking not a zombie film is pontypool yes. which uh, i don't know if you've seen i haven't seen no. it. i've heard of it's, it many uh, not, times not, not set um... in wales um but <laughs> set in the town of pontypool in ontario oh right okay um, read in 2009 as a psychological thriller and, and we were talking about zombies not being shown in color well for most of pontypool they aren't shown at all and the, and the threat is is entirely set in a radio station Apparently mm-hmm. enough, um, and <laughs> and everything's coming in via callers and via reports, and so it's all done with audio. And I found it, although it, it doesn't live up quite live up to what it sets up in the beginning. I found the first half of it one of the most terrifying films I've ever watched alone in my house. I was I, I was nervous about going to the toilet. Um, <laughs> so I think again, not a zombie film, but I think absolutely of the zombie genre. I think I agree with Rob there. Pontypool is absolutely fantastic. I, to, I really have genius. to check this out. It, because the infection is spread through language and what drives us is language, what drives your thoughts. And it's, there's some quite deep concepts in there. But um, going back, I think you can split the, the zombie genre into two. You've got The Walking Dead, which are Romero's carnotropes, as they yeah. refer to them. But also you've got The Infected. So whereas 28 Days Later has got all the trappings and all the feel of a zombie film, the zombies themselves aren't dead, they're not technically zombies, mm. they're infected humans, be it through a psychological virus or through a physical virus, a hemorrhagic virus, the mm. rage. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think you can split them too. I'm, I'm a bit of a purist, I don't like the infected to call zombies in 28 Days mm. Later, but I can see why people lump two together, I don't object to that. See, I've, I've purposely left out, although we have mentioned I've purposely, purposely left out the evil dead. Yes. Because a lot of people would say that's a zombie it movie, gets but it's listed, a demonic. It? Pos- yeah, yeah, it, it gets, gets listed, listed so many times. But it's, it's demonic possession. So yeah. you know, I've sort of I agree, put that yeah. out there. But um, you, you mentioned The Walking Dead, and I think you know we, we we can't wrap up without talking about this. I mean, I know you were a fan because I, I first met you through uh, your love of comic books, and I think you probably introduced me, if not yourself, maybe you and a couple of other people introduced me to the the comic book of Walking Dead. Um, what are your thoughts on that and the way the TV series is progressing? I mean, I, I love it. I love the comic, but I think uh, Robert Kirkman's string it out a little bit. Mm. Um, he's take his time a little bit too much. We need to see some rapid changes or a, a time a time jump. But TV series, I think, is absolutely superb. But what they're doing on relatively small budgets with K&B effects, Greg mm. Nicotero, 
um, is stung, but it's a different kettle of fish to Romero. It's very, um, it's almost like a soap opera to a certain degree. I can yeah, see I think I, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, they, they, there's, it's been nicknamed the Talking Dead because there's, there's not very many zombies in it. Although maybe they should watch the last episode, mid-season break of season four, because that was I think there's more zombie action in that in the, than in the last couple of Romero movies. Really, it was amazing. Um, no, I, I agree, Chris. I think it's fantastic. And I know people people do complain about the slow build. I think the slow build makes you feel more for the characters. And when something does happen to one of the main characters, you feel that emotion more than if they were just, uh, you know, a, you know, a, a red shirt on Star Trek, should we say? <laughs> isn't that, but isn't that part of TV? That's part of the, the form, isn't it? Television, mm. extended form. Yeah, that, that's what it works well at. That's what that kind of the archetypal extended American TV, big budget TV show has become, hasn't it? it? Gives you the opportunity to develop characters to care for them, and so which you can't do in a two-hour movie. I think everyone though on the second season, everybody wanted them to leave Herschel's farm. Yeah, because it just felt like a house on the prairie in places <laughs> uh, with zombies. It happened quite quickly in the comic book as well, if I remember rightly. Absolutely, I think everybody wanted the prison storyline. That's what well, people yeah. wanted, yeah. and when you got there, it absolutely paid off. But I think as well, the the lure of the Walking Dead is the talents, it's the actors who are mm. involved, the writers and the the, um, the effects people. I think that's what makes it pitch perfect as well. I agree. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's um, it's brought everything in full circle, really, with Romero and the ideals uh, ideas that he had behind it. So um, I, I think we should leave it there with The Walking Dead. Chris, I'd like to thank you very much for coming in. Um, I hope you come in again and we'll maybe talk about Italian horror or something else we'll find something else to talk well, about well you know my love of Star Wars maybe one day when the films come well out. I think well, we, we've said with Rob that um, the, the moment that we get some episode 7 news there will be an emergency episode of It's Alive so it'll be we'll all be on Skype talking about it so <laughs> even if it's only a 10 minute, 10 minute episode which I doubt that would happen but um, yeah we'll, we'll definitely um, have you back in so thank you ever so much for coming in we really appreciate Cheers, it guys thanks for having me uh, we'll just uh, wrap up then uh, for today's show we'd like to thank um, Lucky Devil Studios for having us in the Red Room again. Uh, I'd like to thank Futurilla for hosting the uh, podcast. Um, we'd like to thank um, everybody out there that's uh, joined us on Twitter and on Facebook as well. Uh, if you look for us on Twitter, it's It's a Live Show. And on Facebook, just search for It's Alive. And as I say, this week it's got a lovely picture out of um, Zombie Flesh Eaters with a lady with it. A nasty eye injury. Um, so, I'd like to thank Rob and Chris once again, and um, we'll be back here next week. And thanks for listening. Bye.